0: Chapter One of Monica. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Chuck Williamson. Monica by Evelyn Everett Green. The Trevlins of Castle Trevlin. Goodbye, Monica. I will look in again tomorrow but I assure you, there is no cause for anxiety. He is no worse than usual, and will be better soon. The doctor was buttoning up his heavy driving coat as he spoke, and at the conclusion of the sentence, he opened the heavy oak door, letting in a blast of cold air in a sheet of fine, penetrating rain. Oh, Raymond, what weather? I ought not to have sent for you. Nonsense. You know I am weatherproof. Old Jack will find his way home if I cannot. Goodbye again. The door closed upon the stalwart figure, and Lady Monica Trevlin was left standing alone upon the wide staircase amid the gathering shadows of the great hall. Castle Trevlyn was, in truth, a sufficiently grim and desolate place, both within and without. Tangled park, dense pine woods, and a rocky iron-bound coast surrounded it, cutting it off, as it were, from communication with the outside world. Within its walls lay a succession of vast stately chambers. Few of them now inhabited. Regions where carved black oak Faded tapestry, rusty armor, and antique relics of bygone days seemed to reign in a sort of mournful grandeur, telling their own tale of past magnificence and of present poverty and decay. Yes, the Trevlins were a fallen race. For the past three generations, the reigning earl had been poor, and the present Lord Trevlin had failed to do anything towards restoring the decaying fortunes of his house. He, too, was very poor, hence the air of neglect that reigned around and within the castle. Monica, however, his only child, was far too well used to the gloom and grimness of the old castle to be in the least oppressed by it. She loved her lonely, desolate home with a curious, passionate intensity and could not picture anything more perfect than the utter silence and isolation that hemmed in her life. The idea of desiring a change had never so much as occurred to her. Monica was very beautiful, with a beauty of a rare kind that haunted the memory of those who saw her, as a strain of music sometimes haunts the ear. Her face was always pale and grave, and at first sight cold, even to hardness, yet endued with an underlying depth and sweetness that often eluded observation, though it never failed to make itself felt. It was a lovely face, like that of a pictured saint for purity of outline, of a Greek statue for perfection of feature, almost as calm and colorless as marble itself, Yet behind the statuesque severity lay that strange, sad, wistful sweetness, which could not quite be hidden away, and gave to the beholder the idea that some great trouble had overshadowed the girl's life. Let us go with her and see what that trouble was. When the door closed upon Raymond Pendrill, she stood for a moment or two, silent and motionless then turned and mounted the shallow stairs once more, and passing down a long corridor, opened the door of a fire-lit room and entered softly. The room had two tenants. One, a great mastiff dog, who acknowledged Monica's entrance by gently flopping his tail against the floor. The other, a lad of seventeen, who lay upon an invalid couch, his face very white, and his brows drawn with pain. As Monica looked at him, her face quivered, and a look of unspeakable tenderness swept over it, transfiguring it for a moment and showing wonderful possibilities in every line and curve. She bent over him, laying one cool, strong hand upon his hot head better, Arthur. Yes, getting better. That stuff Raymond gave me is uh, taking the pain away. Uh, Stir up the fire and sit where I can see you. I like that best. Arthur Pendrill, cousin to Raymond Pendrill, the young doctor who had just left the castle Was the only child by a first marriage of Lord Trevlyn's second wife. Hoping for an heir, the Earl had married again when Monica was seven years old. But his hopes had not been realized, and the second Lady Trevlyn had died only a few years after her union with him. Arthur, who had only been a mite of two years old when he first came to Castle Trevlyn, knew nothing, of course, of any other home. And he and Monica had grown up like brother and sister and were tenderly attached, perhaps all the more so from radical differences of character and temperament. Their childhood had been uncloudedly happy. They had enjoyed a great liberty in their wild Cornish home that could hardly have been accorded to them anywhere else. Monica's had always been the leading spirit, physically as well as mentally. She had always been the stronger, but he adored her and emulated her with the zeal and enthusiasm of youth. He followed her wherever she led like a veritable shadow until that fatal day five years ago which had laid him upon a bed of sickness and had turned Monica in a few hours' time from a child to a woman. Upon that day, there had been a terrible end to the madcap exploits in cliff climbing, in which the girl had always delighted, and Arthur had been carried back to the castle as all believed to die. He did not die, however, but recovered to a suffering, helpless, invalid life, and Monica who had held herself sternly responsible for all, and who had nursed him with a devotion that no mother could have surpassed, now vowed deep in her heart that her own life should henceforth be devoted to him, that for him she would in future live, and that whatever she could do to lighten his load of pain and make his future happier should be done at whatever cost to herself as the one atonement possible for the rashness which had cost him so dear. Five years ago, that vow had been recorded, and Monica, from a gay, high-spirited girl, had grown into a pale, silent, thoughtful woman. She had never wearied of her self-imposed charge, never faltered in her resolution. Arthur was her special, sacred charge— Anything that could conduce to his welfare and happiness was to be accomplished at whatever cost. So far, to tend and care for him had been her aim and object in life, and her deep love had made the office sweet. It had never occurred to her that any contingency could possibly arise by which separation from him should prove the truest test of her devotion whilst arthur and monica were dreaming their own dreams upstairs by the light of the dancing fire no thought of coming changes clouding the horizon of their imagination downstairs in the earl's study a consultation was being held between him and his sister which would have startled monica not a little had she heard it lord trevlyn was a tall stately gray-haired man of sixty with a finely chiseled face and the true trevlin cast of countenance that his daughter had inherited. His countenance wore, however, a look of pallor and ill health, that, to a practiced eye, denoted weakness of the heart, and his figure had lost its old strength and elasticity. It had grown thin and a little bowed. His expression had much of gentleness, mingling with its pride and austerity as if with the advance of years his nature had somewhat softened and sweetened as indeed had been the case lady diana on the other hand had grown more sharp and dictatorial with advancing age she was a modish old lady who although quite innocent of such adornments always suggested the idea of powder and patches high-heeled shoes and hoops. She generally carried a fan in her hand, dressed richly and quaintly, and looked something like a human parrot, with her hooked nose, keen black eyes, and quick sharp voice and movements. She had an independent and sufficient income of her own, and divided her time between her London house and her brother's Cornish castle. She had always expressed it as her intention to provide for Monica, as her father could do little for his daughter, everything going with the entail in the male line. But there was a sort of instinctive hostility between aunt and niece, of which both were well aware, and Lady Diana was always deeply offended and annoyed by Monica's quiet independence and her devotion to Arthur. It was of Monica they were talking this boisterous autumn evening. Oh, she has a sadly independent spirit, remarked Lady Diana, sighing and fanning herself slowly, although the big-paneled room was by no means warm. I often think of her future and wonder what will become of her. Lord Trevlyn made no immediate response, but by and by said slowly, I've been thinking of late very seriously, of the future. Why of late? was the rather sharp question. I have not been feeling so well since my illness in the spring. Raymond Pendrill and his brother have both spoken seriously to me about the necessity for care. I know what that means. They think my state critical. If I am taken, what will become of Monica? I shall, of course, provide for her. I know that you will do all that is kind and generous, but money is not everything. Monica is peculiar. She wants controlling, yet yet, no one can control her. I know that well, or only Arthur and his whims. She has no companions but her dogs and horses. My blood runs cold every time I see her on that wild black thing she rides, with those great dogs bounding round her. There will be another shocking accident one of these days. She ought to be controlled, taken away from her extraordinary life. Yet she will not hear of coming to London with me, even on a short visit. She will not even let me speak of it. And Lady Diana's face showed that she was much affronted. That is just it, said Lord Trevlin slowly. Her life and Arthur's both seem bound up in Trevlin. Lady Diana made a significant gesture, which the Earl understood. Just so, and yet, unless under most exceptional circumstances, unless what I hardly dare to hope should happen, she must, they must both leave it, at some not very distant date. What do you mean? She asked abruptly. I mean that I have been in correspondence lately, with my heir and that I expect him shortly at Trevlin. Your heir? Yes, Randolph Trevlin, one of the Warwickshire branch. The extinction of the Trevlins at Drayton last year, you know, made him the next in succession. I made inquiries about him, and then entered into uh, personal communication. Lady Diana looked keenly interested. What have you made out? That he is very well spoken of everywhere as a young man of high character and excellent parts. He is wealthy, very wealthy, I believe, an only son, and enriched by a long minority. He is six or seven and twenty, and he is not married. Lady Diana's eyes began to sparkle and he is coming here yes next week of course i need not tell you what is in my thoughts i object to matchmaking as a rule i shall put no pressure on monica of any kind but if those two by chance should learn to love one another i could say my nunc de at any time Lady Diana looked very thoughtful. "'Monica is undoubtedly beautiful,' she said. "'And she is interesting, which perhaps is better.' Her brother, however, made no reply, and as he did not appear inclined to discuss the matter further they were seldom in entire accord in talking of Monica. She presently rose and quitted the room, saying softly to herself as she did so i should love to see that proud girl with a husband's strong hand over her that evening when alone with his daughter lord trevlin introduced the topic most in his thoughts at that time monica do you ever want a little variety what should you say to a visitor at trevlin "'I would try to make one comfortable. "'Are you expecting anyone, father? "'Yes, a kinsman of ours, "'Mr. Trevlin, "'whose acquaintance I wish to make. "'Who is he? "'I never heard of him before. "'No, I have not known about him much myself till lately, "'when circumstances made him my heir.' "'Monica, have you ever thought what will happen at Trevlin in the event of my death?' A very troubled look crept into Monica's dark unfathomable eyes. Her face looked pained and strained. "'I thought you ought to know, Monica,' said the Earl gently. "'Perhaps you have thought that the estate would—' Pass to you in due course of time. Monica pressed her hands closely together, but her voice was steady. Her words were quietly spoken. I do not know if I have ever thought about it, but I suppose I have fancied you would leave all to Arthur or to me. Exactly. You would naturally inherit all I have to leave, But Trevlin is entailed in the male line and goes with the title. At my death, Mr. Randolph Trevlin will be the next Earl, and all will be his. Monica sat very still, feeling as if she had received some sudden stunning blow. But she could not take in all in a moment the gist of such intelligence. A woman in some matters, she was a child in others. But, father, she said quietly, and without apparent emotion, Arthur is surely much nearer to you than this Mr. Trevlin, whom you have never seen. The earl smiled half-sadly, and shook his head. My dear, you do not understand these things. I feel towards Arthur as if he were my son, but he is not one of my kindred. He is my wife's son, not mine. He is not a Trevlin at all. Monica's troubled gaze rested on her father's face. He cannot live anywhere but a Trevlin, she said slowly. It would kill him to take him anywhere else. And in her heart, she added, a little jealousy rising up in her heart against the stranger and usurper who was coming. He ought to have it. He is a son and a brother here. By every law of right, Trevlin should be his. Foolish, irrational Monica. Where Arthur was concerned, her eyes were blinded. Her reason was warped by her love. And the ways of the great outside world were so difficult to understand. Presently, she spoke in very low, measured tones though not without a little falter in her voice now and then. You mean that if... if you were to die, Arthur and I should be turned out of Trevlin? You would neither of you have any right to remain, answered Lord Trevlin, choosing his words with care. You would find a home with your aunt. And as for Arthur, I suppose he would go to his cousin's, Unless, indeed, if he seemed unable to live away from the place, some arrangement with my successor could be made. Everything would depend on him. But, of course, it would be a difficult arrangement. She drew a long breath and passed her hand across her eyes. Mr. Trevlin is coming here, you say? Yes, next week. I think it is right that we should become acquainted with our kinsman, especially as so much may depend upon him in the future. I think so, too, answered Monica. And then she quietly left him, without uttering another word. End of chapter 1